if you want to be a guest, please email me. I have received so many emails of people that are excited and passionate about being a guest on this show. The process is time consuming. I go through about an hour long pre-interview and I determine where you'd fit best in the season. So if you've gone through the pre-interview process or we've messaged back and forth via email and haven't gone through the pre-interview process, I'm not ignoring you, I, I promise. There's just a lot on my plate and I am one person. That being said, I look forward to talking with every one of you that is interested in being on this podcast. Y'all are amazing. And I honestly could not do this podcast without the support that I receive from each one of you. So thank you so much. In that conference area, this kid shared with us, he was like 16, that he was sent there. And me and my delusion at that time was like, what do you mean you don't want to be here? This is all there is. This is the great life. This is us reaching the point of just the perfect life and reaching our goals. It was like my parents sent me and this has been a very difficult year because I just started shock therapy. In my head, I'm like, oh, shock therapy. I bet that's probably something good. I literally remember that switch. Then I was like, what? I remember that was day four. I remember three days after that of being on full autopilot because this whole different side of torture and parents doing this to their kids, parents sending their kids here. I had no idea that was something that happened. And I realized these kids were so sad. Welcome to the Focus on Your Own Family podcast. Fundamentalist evangelicalism impacted a generation. We survived physical, psychological, mental, and spiritual abuse. We survived the Focus on the Family movement, and we want to talk about it. Trigger warning, guests will be sharing stories of domestic violence, child abuse, and animal abuse. Please listen with caution. Thank you. This is Adam. Here is his story. Hey, Adam. How you doing? I am doing all right. Recovering from a phenomenal Halloween weekend. How are you? I am good. Um, I have to say, um, okay, so sometimes I do a shout out to my mother-in-law and it is her time to shine. She, She asked me to, like, she is literally in my phone as broom writer because she said mother-in-laws are witches. And so every October... I tell her it's her time to it's her time to shine. And occasionally she'll send me photos of like broomsticks that, you know, don't have owners. And she's like, I dropped my ride. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's broken down. So shout out to Broom Rider. Tomorrow is Halloween and it is your it's your it's your party. It's your day. It's your day to take the ride wherever you want to go. Exactly. So if <laughs> you hear it. somebody cackling, um, just flying over the house, it's not Santa. That's too early. It's Broom Rider. That's my mother-in-law. <laughs> it's and your mother-in-law. And she's fantastic. So, <laughs> And she listens to the podcast. So anyhow. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. My mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, she really is. Just She's really wonderful. All right. So let's, we're going to dig in. Are, are you ready? <laughs> I'm never ready, but yes, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. So you're opening the doors of mm-hmm. Love One Out. Tell me what you see when yeah. you walk in. So Love One Out 
was, I believe, in Williamsburg. It was at like this hotel conference center. Ooh, um, for those of for those people that didn't listen to part one, you should probably go back and listen to part one. Love One Out is from it's James Dobson, hence the name of the podcast, Focus on Your Own Family. James Dobson, I'm doing a crash course, wanted to dip his toes into conversion therapy because he saw the much grander profit that other organizations were getting from this. And so he dips his toes in it, creates Love One Out, which is a part of the Exodus International Movement. And it is conversion therapy for the LGBTQIA plus and trans community. And they were typically week-long conventions, although sometimes they would allow you to intermingle with other people that held... You could live somewhere for a year on conversion therapy. I'm going to call them compounds, properties. And it was... Hellacious doesn't... Hellacious and, and torture. Those words are soft Conversion therapy requires you to completely erase yourself. Yeah. And today we're, I'm here with Adam and we're going to do our part two where we talk about his erasing and then his coming back from that and fully embracing and loving who he is and celebrating who he is. So enter love one out. <laughs> what is it, it like when you enter the doors? <laughs> so I'm going to be very transparent with you and say that um, mm -hmm. between the Exodus retreat and love one out, there is a lot of fuzziness. So um, I'm going to do my best just because I think at some points the trauma is a little too thick for me to um, be uh, just, I guess, with full memory of it and randomly things will come back. Um, since the last podcast, I have had a few unlocked memories that have come back. And so I've made sure to make note of that. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy to be at a place where I can handle that right now. Yeah. Um, so I'll just say that. So if it feels like it's all over the place, it's cause it kind of is. <laughs> so no um, worries. I'll, I'll connect. Cool. It'll, it'll just be a, a really complex dot to dot, but I've got your back. <laughs> Let's do it. It'll be a all scatter right. plot. We can make it happen. Yeah. There we go. I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Sounds all right. good. So, um, I managed to get the money for love one out and I go to the conference center at this hotel after I've checked in and everything. And, um, there's like, this giant um, poster and it's like, you know, leaving homosexuality or something like that. And, you know, prior to this point, it was just me and Daniel counseling alone. And so it was like, there was this sense of community where I was like, I was seeing this literature, this, um, you know, abundance of materials for people like me and other people were there. So I was like, this is kind of what I've been looking for. You know, it was like, you know, it felt like a new church. It felt like I was discovering people with the same type of goals that were ingrained in the church and that were just really, I guess, like-minded. So I'm there and I'm looking through this literature and I pick up a couple books. So one is uh, Emotional Dependency for Guys by Mike Ensley. Another one is, I think, You Don't Have to Be Gay. Um, and there's several other just pamphlets, books that I uh, picked up. Um, and 
<clears throat> they had like a program of all of the events and the workshops that were taking place. And, you know, I go in, I find my seat and everybody starts kind of with worship. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm in church. But like, in the first time in my life, feeling like I don't have to hide the struggle with same-sex attraction, as, you know, myself at that point would say. Um, and truthfully, that experience is why I believe these places are so dangerous, because the sense of false comfort and community that I was feeling was very pronounced, because prior to that point, it was just me and one man just kind of having these highly inappropriate conversations about sexuality. And now I'm surrounded by people who, to my knowledge, have experiences like mine. So we do this worship and everything. And then this witty speaker comes up and tells like this little joke about the Exodus website that it was like exodus.to. And she was like, we could get, we couldn't get .com. So we got to or something like that. And, trying to make a joke about it um and then immediately goes from that to um i'll never forget her asking this because this was literally where i was so sold she was like how many of you have been told that being gay is a choice and several folks raised their hand and she was like how many of you were told that you were born gay and several folks raised their hand um i raised my hand on the choice question and she goes, what if I told you it was neither? What if I told you it was because of how you were raised? And then she goes into the high-level overview of the emotionally absent father and the overbearing mother for men. Um, and I can't remember how. Yeah. Do you remember, did she have psychology credentials was she a phd or was she just like a biblical counselor she was i think just like one of the coordinators awesome. but yeah but yeah and right? notice how she disarmed you first she chose mm -hmm. to disarm you with humor and also right. they disarmed you with worship so they made it feel like this is safe Mm -hmm. And then it's funny. They use the exact same model that pastors do inside of mega churches, which is worship, then something witty, and then yeah, you suck, basically. Right. Um. Except right. <laughs> and so it just, you know, she wasn't. She didn't have credentials, but there were guest speakers who were licensed therapists, licensed counselors that were using these credentials to support the type of treatment that Love One Out was promoting. Um, so, you know, what happened was this was a three-day long retreat. And there were conferences all day. I mean, it was like nine to nine, like worship, uh, small group discussions, like it was a lot of information. And so me being just the star pupil that I was in school, like I was like, oh my gosh, I am getting everything that I need and was at that point bought in. One of the, um, oh, sorry, that did something. <laughs> um, whew, um, one of the 
groups was facilitated by Regent University, which was a college in Virginia, a very Christian college. And they drew these concentric circles, right? So small circle, medium-sized circle, big circle on the outside. And in the inner circle was the gay identity. And the middle circle was the homosexual lifestyle. And on the outermost circle was same-sex attraction. What we had to do was figure out where we were in the circle and how we could pull ourselves away from the gay identity into like saying that we're heterosexual with same-sex attraction. And the whole thought process was once you get to this point, you're in the outside of the circle and that's where God can reach you, right? And that is one of the most triggering things, even though it's just three circles, because I took that so seriously in yeah. thinking about making life decisions during that year of which part of the circle does this put me in? You know, when I was in counseling, talking through this, my therapist drew like a few circles and I legit panicked. And we had to stop and talk about how these fucking circles were a trigger. And it's like, because they try to oversimplify it and because they try to use like these analogies and, you know, stories and anecdotes, it's like they take simple things and sometimes real therapy concepts and twist it and break it to the point where it's like, it's going to be a trigger for a survivor, you know? It's not just that. It's in the evangelical movement. We, there's this, I know that there are studies that have been done because I've read them. Can I cite them? No, I just know that I've read them there. I know they're in some books, but when you're about 13 and 14, you, that's when you really begin to have autonomy. Like I'm seeing that in my teenagers mm -hmm. and they're having their own thoughts. They're wanting to go out and see, taste, touch, hear, experience, feel the world. Mm -hmm. And the evangelical movement, that ideology says that's bad mm -hmm. and it, it inhibits emotional growth. So emotional intelligence. So when you have somebody oversimplifying, it actually hits you with the mind of a child because they mm -hmm. always want you perpetually. And what it, cause what does it say? We always want to have the heart of a child, right? So they oversimplify to infantilize and to make you continuously be like a child. So when you do see things like circles, you, you, you have this, full body response because you're just, you feel like you experience that you feel like through the mind of a child. And so it's like you're overprotective over yourself. Mm -hmm. I want to circle back really quick. You yeah. said something, you like had, you had an emotional response to something. And I just, I want to say this because I just, I wrote it down. It's so important. I think for you to hear, for survivors to hear this, because I have to hear this too. Sometimes you were conditioned to perform due to your hypervigilance. Like when you were conditioned to perform, you were given hypervigilance, right? Mm -hmm. right. The hypervigilance was there to protect you. So when you were put there, because you made a statement that you said that you willingly, you had eagerness behind mm -hmm. attacking this material yeah. and that was your hypervigilance trying to protect you and yeah. it wasn't your fault 
You were doing what you were programmed to do. Mm -hmm. You had to do it as a way to survive because if you didn't do it, then they would find you out. Then you wouldn't have been working hard enough. And that fear of being ostracized from a community that it was already so shameful and you were already like a castaway, like you were going to a castaway conference. You were the, like what the, what they would have said, the least of these or whatever, however they would have explained it. You didn't want to fail out of that. That was the worst scenario that could possibly ever happen. That was exile. And Mm -hmm. you were doing exactly what your body and your brain were telling you to do. And there is nothing wrong with that. You survived. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so I'm sure yeah. you've heard that. I'm sure you've told yourself that, but I just wanted to be another affirming voice. It it truly, it's not our fault. And, you know, there are, you know, I used to really detach from this version of myself, but I think there is some value in having that type of hypervigilance in certain situations. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's very easy to be manipulated when you are, at that lowest point in your life, you know, I was still at that point, I think I was like three months off a suicide attempt. So I was very vulnerable and I was believing this material because what else was I going to do? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like. So anyway, the circles. Yeah. So we're there in the circles and they give us like these wristbands um, for like, basically accountability partners it's like these ugly ass gray wristbands that we had to put i I wouldn't be caught dead with one of those currently like (laughs) but it was like this ugly pale gray wristband and i gave one to my friend and it was like we would well i would call him anytime uh i had a sexual desire um and yeah that was basically what they were uh promoting so there's that they also had like little they gave us like little 15 minute windows in between the sessions so like at one point i'm sitting down with this group that was called hope for wholeness and like like we're outside um and i'm like just sitting with them because they're all around this one man in a rocking chair who i now know is mccray game um you know just kind of like sharing stories and whatnot and i'm like i end up gravitating to them and they're talking about giving up your cross and whatnot and i end up deleting jack's name from my phone who was my first love and basically saying that i was now detaching from this man that he wasn't going to have power over me anymore that i needed to let him go in order to really embrace this journey um and so that happened and I, at that time, felt like it was this huge moment where I was overcoming this love uh, that I wouldn't call love at that time. Um, I was actually being conditioned to not think about my feelings for this man as love, to logically lie to myself about my first love experience. Um, So I meet another young kid. I'm going to call him David. Um, This kid was 16. And at that time, I was, I think, 18, uh, maybe 19. I think 18. Um, 19, 19. (laughs) So um, 
David was very sweet. He was one of the youth that was there. Um, to be honest, most of the most of the folks that were at Love One Out were a little bit older than us. Um, there were four of us who I really kind of saw as the younger crowd at that conference. It was myself, David, another guy who I'm going to call Eric, and Kevin, who I'm going to call Kevin. So, David, very sweet kid. He was there with his family. And we kind of vibed, I think, just over our, you know, love of growing up with pop music. Um, And then there was Eric, who was like super into um, Wizard of Oz, which I loved because that was my mom's favorite movie. And, you know, I grew up with all of that memorabilia. So we instantly vibed. And then there was Kevin who I think all of us were just mesmerized by. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you to those that have reached out with your support, whether you have left a review. If you haven't left a review, this would be a really, really good time to leave a review. Read every single one of them. So thank you. And for those that are subscribers to my Patreon, thank you. It means so much. One of the new features that I am adding for my paid Patreon subscribers is the chat feature. And this is just a way that we can all continue this conversation that we're having in the podcast. And if you are not a paid subscriber, unfortunately, the chat feature won't be available to you. But you can be a free subscriber and you'll just get the weekly newsletters. Y'all are amazing. And I honestly could not do this podcast without the support that I receive from each one of you. So thank you so much. I'm sorry, it's your tone. And then there was (laughs) Kevin. Every villain of a story from here on out with Bible stuff needs to be. And then there was Kevin. And isn't that how it is though? Isn't it like Kevin and Karen? Isn't it a Kevin? Yeah. It is now. It's hey. Kevin. And I use the church version of Karen is Carol for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So because like a Christmas Carol, you know. So yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> so Kevin. Kevin. So <laughs> first and foremost, I want to point out Kevin introduced me to a new word that I had never heard before, which is ex-gay. He goes, you know, how long have you been an ex-gay? And I was like, what? What does that mean? And he was like, you know, struggling with same-sex attraction, but not really living the gay lifestyle. And I was like, oh, I think just a couple months. And he was like, well, I've been doing this for eight years. And This guy, I mean, we're all kind of dressed up churchy. This man is literally in like tie-dye, like bright rainbow, robust clothes. Cause he's like, you know, this is, this is what I'm into. I'm into bright clothing and I don't care what they say. What matters is what's in your heart and I can wear whatever I want. And I'm like, okay, you, you do you, you, you do you. So 
the more that we all kind of hung out, the more I started gravitating towards Kevin because he had a lot of air quotes knowledge about what they were talking about at Love One Out. And so all of us exchanged numbers and aim handles because we were still in that era. <laughs> um, so we all keep in touch. Um, you know, after Love One Out, I do want to back up and just say that Love One Out really drove home that emotional dependency conversation. Um, they really had a lot of workshops surrounding what it means to be emotionally dependent because their thought process um, is you're broken as an individual and therefore your relationships are going to be broken and you have to be constantly on guard and on alert of how dependent that you get towards other people because when you get too close to people you're going to have an uh just this innate habit of becoming too dependent and it's going to be unhealthy. So you need to trade some of that dependency for God and be careful how close you get to people. And then, yeah. Yeah, I've got an issue with that. Yes, codependency is a problem. Dependency mm -hmm. is a problem. However, by them taking your, by, by them inhibiting your ability to have a relationship, just a friendship. And saying that any relationship that you have with the same gender is dependency or codependency, they're actually placing you in full codependency with them to be the ones that determine how you can, will, and should engage in a relationship. Like you have to, it's like they become your parents, they become the big brother, they become your guideline as what relationships look like taking away your ability to have critical thinking and logic. It's really what cults do. It's cult mm -hmm. 101, um, taking away your agency. And yeah. that it's, again, yes, it's important to recognize codependency and dependency, but then the way that they did it, they actually just took away norm normal it's human interaction. It's a shame interaction. spiral, right? Oh, it's 100%. just a shame spiral yep. into... And they I'm hold the keys person. to it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They're the ones telling you what is shame. Mm -hmm. They're the ones holding the definition. And you constantly have to go up to them and ask for their approval and say, "Is does this meet the definition of shame? I need to know. Mm -hmm. I need to know. Constantly yeah. guessing. Oh, that We're, stuff takes years mm -hmm. to get over. Yep, we're good at this point because fuck you, focus on the family. I dealt with this <laughs> in therapy. We are golden here. Oh, no yes, yes. Um, so truly, um, that workshop changed my life. And I used to say that it changed my life in a good way. And I mean, still to this day, it's changed my life to where there are still triggers from me thinking I'm emotionally dependent and i have to really backtrack and say i know where this voice is coming from mm -hmm. and i just have to allow myself space to exist in the moment so that i can understand that understand where it's coming from and know that it's okay it is absolutely fine 
that I am in love with somebody. It is absolutely fine that I care deeply about a friend. There is nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's pretty normal, you know? So backtracking, um, the emotional dependency conversations were happening. There was also one where they were talking about kind of sharing trauma um, and they call it emotional rape that, you know, you have to be conscious of how much of yourself you're giving to someone else because they might not be ready to uh, have you in that space and that you're emotionally raping them and like basically equating it to actually, you know, committing an act of violence by, you know, trying to bond with people over this. Um, so. You mean what pastors do on a regular basis and how they inundate young children at the Uh age of like tender age of eight. Hold on. I just like got to go on a soapbox for a second. Do it. Considering that James Dobson has this whole true love waits thing Uh where he's inundating little girls and they're having these purity balls Uh where they're giving their heart to their dad and letting their dad be the one to hold their virginity. But like, no, 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 that's not emotionally that's not emotional. Nope. Absolutely not. We're good. We're yeah. good. Okay. Back. You know, it, it, it's, it's all just foolishness. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's all foolishness over there. Uh, um, uh. You know? Um, so lucky for me, there happened to be a Richmond group there by the name of set free ministries who Daniel decided that he wanted to contact to let them know that I was coming. So this woman by the name of Jeannie comes to introduce herself to me and says, hi, my name's Jeannie. I'm with Set Free. We're a local group where we can continue this work back home. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, how great is that? Let me go ahead and sign up for this. And I did. I got her information. You know, I had to go through, I think it was like two or three individual quote unquote, therapy sessions um, prior to actually attending their group therapy. Um, So, yeah, I think that's it about Love One Out, uh, just kind of leading into set free. Um, Kevin and I exchanged information. Um, Eric and I stayed in touch. And David and I stayed pretty close. It was all good relationships. Kevin started to become an accountability partner for me because I think he saw how serious I was about becoming an ex-gay. I mean, I even started adopting the language at that point in time after speaking with him. Um, You know, I now had like this new word up to that point. It was, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Now it was, I'm an ex-gay. So I come home from Love One Out and I start to attend Set Free Ministries. Uh, which is now called Set Free Richmond. I think it's still around, unfortunately, which is wild. Um, but I'm going to be completely honest and let you know the memories of Set Free are very vague. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember a couple distinct moments. So the first moment was there was this older man who was um, saying that he was struggling with same-sex attraction, lying in bed next to his wife, and that he, every morning, would go out to his window because he knew one of his neighbors would be outside jogging and that he could look at him and kind of 
you know, um, fulfill that desire that, you know, and then go lay back neck. And then he would go lie next to his wife, um, which is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another video where, or there was another moment in group therapy where they played this video where it started off saying like, there is nothing more beautiful than women's breasts. And all these guys like were cheering and hollering. And I was just sitting in there and I was like, hi, um, I don't think this is the right way we're supposed to do this. Um, like, um, and I was just like, I don't actually have those thoughts. Maybe one day I will, but that feels very sinful. <laughs> um, and then they were like, you need to loosen up. And, you know, it... anyway, so I also remember hearing about two groups one called love and action and one called living waters and it was like they were constantly saying i needed to go further into this by attending a living waters retreat or by going to love and action so i come home from set free and i go to my mom and i'm like i need to go to love and action and it was i think like five thousand dollars like it was something ridiculous and it was going to be like living basically in a dorm uh i think in tennessee uh with other folks basically serving as a love one out thing so i was so it was very similar to going to acquire the fire coming back from love one out the feelings were very similar where it's like i had that vigor you know um what did you refer to it as i know what you're talking about though it's it's intoxicating those that participate in these church services Mm -hmm. come out of that and they inhibit your senses right so they have the lights are down there's a lot of everything's flashy they change the temperature in the room there's smoke there's so many things and you come out of that you actually come out in a state of euphoria Mm. it's addictive and you make life-altering decisions Mm mm-hmm because you are primed. You've got that dopamine. You've got that adrenaline. You have this great experience. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm on that mountaintop, right? That mountaintop Uh experience. And as evangelicals, we were all conditioned to be terrified of the valley. Yeah. You're going to go from mountaintop, then you're going to have a valley. I had a pastor that used to say, you're either coming into something or coming out of something. I'm like, that is the most terrifying experience like oh my gosh that means that if i'm having a good day i guarantee you tomorrow's going to be really bad because Uh i can't just have a steady life god's not going to give me that and i digress because we want to go into the relationship with your mom and advocacy work so i'm going to shut my no you're fine you're fine (laughs) so i go and i ask to go to love and action and so um my parents had seen a little bit of a shift since I had come back from Love One Out. You know, when you go somewhere and you learn that your whole struggle, your whole life, and again, learn is in quotes, but you learn that that whole struggle, your whole life is not your fault anymore, that it's because you had an overbearing mother and an emotionally absent father. What happened was I had all of this inner shame and it was weighing me down basically my whole life. 
And now suddenly I have rechanneled that energy away from myself and turned it into blame towards my parents and basically told my mom, you know, you were so overbearing to me. You made me gay. I am going through this because of what you did, you know, like, and I wrote my dad like this letter where it was like, you know, you made me feel like I had to fall in love with the man because I never had this masculine love from you. Um, and it's okay though, because my heavenly father is going to take it from here. Like it was a pretty vicious letter. Um, and I was truly adopting this mind frame of being an ex-gay. So when my parents saw how much love one out cost, they were like, absolutely not. And I, I was mad at them. I was genuinely mad at my parents at that point in time for not sending me away to love in action. Like if, if I could go back in time and say something to my younger self at that time, I would make myself say thank you <laughs> for that because you know, I was basically coming to the all-you-can-eat buffet, basically saying, can I have seconds? Can I have thirds? Can I have fourths? You know, how many times can I come back? I want it all, you know? And I was bought in at that point. Kevin invited me down to his home in North Carolina for us to just talk and vibe as two ex-gays. And Kevin introduced me to something that he called the cuddle ministry. <laughs> yeah, that's that face about says it all. That's about right. Yeah. So Kevin tells me. So, I'm sorry. There's just like. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Do go on. <laughs> yeah, it's it. I mean, it truly oh, Kevin. is wild at this point. So. Kevin tells me that the best thing that two men can do to overcome same-sex attraction is to cuddle. Uh, with the same with men. gender? The cuddle ministry, yeah. What? Yeah. So, um I need so this. much information on this. Yeah. Now, I'm going to I'm going to research it cuz like we could mm. talk about this for 5 hours. Yeah. No less and probably much more than that. So mm -hmm. I'm writing it down. <laughs> yeah. And different groups uh from different stories that people have shared have had a similar variance of this where it's like there's physical touch with another man to like basically avert yourself. So that the goal was cuddle and enjoy the affection but to translate that affection from sexual to um, platonic. So basically to avert yourself from your own orientation while being in physical contact with somebody else. Um, yeah, but purity culture says that we can't do that. Yeah, so... Like um, I'm not going to lie, that fucked up my head leaving North Carolina because it was like we would cuddle and if I felt too overwhelmed with attraction, we would stop. 
and then cuddle again. I. Wow. Um. Go on. Yeah. So. And that was like his ministry to me. He was like, I share this ministry with other people because I feel like it's, you know, such a great way to heal and to embrace, you know, just masculine affection and without it being sexual. And really, it's like this friendly packaged version of aversion therapy, right? And um, after that, I think I started to unravel. Mm-hmm. So I went to Eric, the Wizard of Oz friend, and said that I felt that he was becoming too emotionally dependent to me, that he was calling me too much and I needed to separate myself from him to grow closer to God. Um, I started really wanting to reach heaven's level, right? To say, I am going to be on this level. I'm not going to be this person that he's going to look down on as this up and coming ex-gay. I'm going to become a leader. I'm going to become, you know, the missionary. I'm going to become one of these people on stage who has a wife and kids and is the example. And around that time, Exodus International announced that in Asheville, North Carolina, they were doing a freedom conference, which was a seven-day event. Um, and so I go to this freedom conference. My parents had raised enough money for it because it was much less expensive. I think it was like $1,800 or something like that. Um, and just some highlights from the freedom conference. Um, Ann Graham Lotz was a speaker, Billy Graham's daughter, um, talking about the Holy Spirit and how we as uh, folks struggling with a different kind of sin can connect to the Holy Spirit. There was literally a temptation workshop, Stephanie. They handed us like a ramekin of a suite and had us like hold it out in front of us to talk about how the sexual desire is like this sweet piece of candy or cheese. Like, and that was, that was the, that was the lesson. That was this hour long workshop was just us. (laughs) <laughs> like holding so, a sweet in front of us yeah so that is the conditioning like that's the training that uh-huh. we put our german shepherd through <laughs> um to get her the canine good citizen uh-huh. certificate is like you put cheese out uh-huh. and then you have to tell her to stay <laughs> yeah and then you have to have her walk around it without mm. acknowledging it like that's yeah all it is is like it's it's the same stuff like Dobbs mm, yeah Dobson does this he mm-hmm. he believes that children and human beings can be trained like animals mm-hmm. he just like yeah. really believes this um this Freud psychology mm-hmm. it's, it's bonkers and then you have Joseph e. Nicolosi Yep. Mm-hmm. And you have him. And yeah, the, it goes so deep. Mm-hmm. No. And so um, they had um, they had a lot going on. And one of the workshops was held by none other than Mike Ensley. And so I'm sitting there having literally read by this man's like 15 page booklet or whatever. 
about emotional dependency. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I get to meet this man. And we proceed, that was kind of like the youth night. So we proceed to basically like run across the room if we had different, you know, traumas. They were like, you know, run across the room if you had an emotionally absent father, things like that, you know, like, and the whole thing was, you're not in this race alone. Okay, great. Um, so <laughs> some of us had hung out a little bit after that. And in that conference area, this kid shared with us, he was like 16, he had some like facial piercings, that he was sent there. And me and my delusion at that time was like, what do you mean you don't want to be here? Like, this is this is all there is. This is this is the great life. This is us reaching the point of, you know, just the perfect life and reaching our goals. And I was like, yeah, my my parents sent me, and this has been a very difficult year because I just started shock therapy. And in my head, I'm like, oh, shock therapy. I, I bet that's probably something good. And I, I literally remember that switch. And then I was like, what? And I remember that was day four. So I remember three days after that of being on full autopilot. Because I was like, this whole different side of like, torture and parents doing this to their kids like parents sending their kids here was like a whole new thing for me i had no idea that that was something that happened i thought that all of us were there because we wanted to change that we wanted to take on this new life that you know we were all trying to accomplish the same goal and the love and action kids were there like like love and action had sent the kids that year to the freedom conference. And I realized like these kids were so sad. Like it, this wasn't the time of their lives for them. And I just had so much emotion and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like day six, I just spent in my hotel room and I was like, just questioning everything. Um, and I ended up not even going to the final day. Um, I left, um, I think I stayed in my room because it was like a morning service. And I was like, I just, I want to go as I'm leaving this group that I now know as truth wins out is standing outside with like these signs that are like, we love you as you are. Nobody has to change you like things like that, just affirmations. And it was like a seven hour drive home. And by the time I got home. I realized that maybe there's more to this. And then I went to work, like, I think the next day, and I was telling my coworkers about this conference, like trying to like convince myself by telling people that like, okay, I'm still in this, like, it's okay. And this guy is like, at work is like, you know, you could just not do any of this. He was like, you could just um, embrace yourself and not have to keep spending these all of this money to try to change and just be you. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, this is such a healing journey, blah, 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 blah. And so I get home, I hop on aim. I'm talking to David, talking to David. 
And I'm like, David, you're not going to believe what I learned. Uh, there is kids who go through shock therapy. And so David like pauses and is like, yeah, I have been through that and started to share experience of like how he had been through this. Like his dad had consented for him to go through this type of torture. Um, and that like, sometimes his hair will fall out because of just the, I guess, whatever it did to him. And it's like, wow. And I was like, I'm done. I am done. And I reached out to Kevin and I was like, I'm sorry. I know we usually like exchange, you know, accountability things each day, but I can't do this anymore. I was like, I am, I'm over this. And so gradually I started undoing everything. So first was set free. I just stopped going. That was the easiest. Second was the conferences. I stopped going to that. At that point in time, my parents saw that I was not uh, going to these conferences anymore. And they were kind of okay with it. <laughs> they were like, you know, this is fine. Like, you know, they're right. clearly teaching you that we suck. So, you know, if uh, if you're not going to go to this, it is what it is. We just don't want you, want you to lose your faith. And unfortunately, those two things kind of went together. You know, so I'm at Daniel's place, right? So we have our final, like, my day over at Daniel's. And we're, like, cutting up peaches or something. And he's trying to counsel me. And I'm starting to push back a little bit, which he wasn't expecting. And so he gets a little more forceful. And it's like, yeah, no, we we definitely need to up how much time we're meeting. It definitely sounds like, you know, there's some concerns here. And so I was sleeping over. <laughs> Stephanie, I literally left at like two in the morning, left their front door unlocked and just drove away. Like I was like, I am not staying here. We are not doing this. And so yeah. he messaged me and I don't think I ended up responding to that message for like three years because I was like, I'm, I'm done. And um, one of the people who was very close to my parents at church suggested uh, testosterone treatment as you know something else and i was like sure so i call up my doctor's office and i'm like hi um some religious folks think that if i take enough testosterone i will be straight when can i book my appointment <laughs> and they were like i'm sorry what and i was like okay no worries have a great day <laughs> and i like look at my mom and i'm like yeah i'm not doing that and she was yep. like Okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, at that point, all I knew was I'm not this anymore. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And so that began my just unwinding, unrewiring of all of this. Um, yeah. I didn't actually talk about some of these experiences for eight years. Yep. Um, so that's that's a very high level of my story. I feel like I went deeper than I usually do. Um, you know, but yeah, all of that to say, this doesn't work. You know, like this is 
such a lie. Conversion therapy is such a lie. And my mom is actually the first to tell people, you know, that this thing is just garbage. Um, you know, we've really healed our relationship since then. Um, she's become like this fierce advocate and ally. And I'm I'm so all about it. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, I ended up going to therapy about this, about just going through conversion therapy, which I think is very important. If you've been through something as traumatic as conversion therapy, the first step is to get help, right? Yeah. And, you know, getting that help is so difficult because what we were exposed to was masked as therapy. So therapy in itself is sometimes triggering, mm-hmm. you know? Um, thinking about how like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, was used in my story to like kind of manipulate me to think that like I was making progress. Um, you know, <clears throat> so I go through three years of really intensive therapy to like deal with all of this. And I'm I'm so glad I did that. And, you know, there will always be triggers. I think the important thing is being mindful and aware that there are triggers um, and knowing what to do when that happens, when you're triggered. Um, I will say after therapy, um, I ended up becoming an advocate. And the story of how I became an advocate is a whole nother thing. I won't get into that. But um, I started a group with my bestie called Love Actually One. Right. So it was like flipping love one out on its head mm-hmm. and opening up this space for other conversion therapy survivors to talk, to meet up and to share stories. And um, I also ended up helping raise awareness about conversion therapy. And I helped you know, just share my story to help pass a law in Virginia to protect minors from conversion therapy from licensed professionals. Um, You know, what I realized in doing all of this advocacy work was there was a little bit that was too much familiar to me or this work was a little too familiar. What I mean by that is I was sharing my story. I wasn't sharing my testimony. I was not sharing my story. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I was attending these fundraising dinners, um, you know, where it was like, you can donate money to save lives, you know, for the good cause. Um, it was opening myself up without boundaries to other survivors who really some i think everybody's on their own path Uh, you know some survivors are fantastic um but there are some survivors who really came at me in such a way that was its own level of trauma Mm -hmm. right you know like i was kind of being put into this place of now that i have this platform i was being seen as kind of this figure and as this figure i was now the person that they were going to have listen to them and for me growing up 
evangelical and as a missionary, it's a dangerous spot to be in because it, it compromised my mental health in a few ways, you know, because it was like I wanted to save people. I wanted to be there for people. I wanted to uh, open space to where um, people who had a story similar to mine felt heard and understood. And it was all too similar. And that's not to say advocacy work is not a good thing. It's to say that if you are evangelical or ex-evangelical, if you are ex-evangelical and you're going to share your story in a space that's going to include both sides, it's important to know that like ex-gays will be there. Like groups like Focus on the Family on a local level will be there. And it is so traumatizing to be in the same room as these people. Um, so that is my story. I think that, so when we were doing the pre-interview, I think it's important for people to know when I did this pre-interview, I knew you were going to share your story. I just feel so privileged and so honored that you would share that. What we talked about mostly in our pre-interview process was how both you and I have recognized that the advocacy work on the external, on the opposite side of this is a shit show. Mm -hmm. And it's not for all my fellow advocates that (laughs) listen to my podcast and are like wanting to jump through their AirPods and (laughs) wring my neck right now. Um, Hold your ponies. Wait, so are you saying that you're having a similar that it's a vibe similar to like churches requiring you to say the right thing so that you don't get kicked out kicked out of the church mm, <laughs> all the time yeah yeah right i still feel like we haven't gotten to the space where my thoughts are my thoughts mm-hmm. and we can't separate that right if i say something cuz i am a human person mhm i am still learning and i am still growing we still have yet to really, truly, honestly create safe spaces. Yes. Judgmental free safe spaces. Mm-hmm. That if I say something, we recognize, oh, I was raised in a cult. Therefore, I am not going to formulate this sentence in the way that might make another advocacy group proud in a way yeah. that like... Girl, like we need to just have that space for one another because we sure as heck Ugh. didn't have that space in the evangelical movement. Like we were all covered by grace, but that only ex- that that arm of grace only extended for those that held that wielded power and control over people. Yeah. Um. So, I would like to see spaces where people recognize, like. We're still learning because we're human people. We're still trying to process this world that we were told was supposed to kill us. Like Mm -hmm. I spent my whole life believing that those that were not Christian, those that were in the world, were there to seek, kill, and devour or seek, kill, and destroy. Like I Mm -hmm. was told the world outside of the church doors, the seats that were not the pews, we're going to send me to hell. Yeah. We're going to devour me. And the urgency behind every single decision that I make. So 
I would like to see from the evangelical movement, I'd like to see us give pause to people because mm-hmm. we held, we were held and we held others to this absolutely unrealistic uh, standard. Yeah. And we're doing the same thing on the outside of it. And I see this, we're also trying to digest every single current event as it comes our way. All these things are being thrown at our way. And now we can no longer say, "Mm, God has it. God has it. I know the ending. Now we have to put our critical thinking caps on that we never had, that we never developed. And we're supposed to rationalize it through these I'm going to say muscles, but like thinking isn't a muscle. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to just like flex this and just know how to interpret and how to view. It's all so much. And we have to give ourselves a break. Yeah. You know, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's exhausting. And not to mention the advocacy. Like you said, you have to share your testimony and you do it with music behind so that people can donate money mm, doing mm. the same thing that they did yeah. in church. They're using the same method because church got it right. Yeah. Church got you, the manipulation right. Let me tell you how much of a non-Christian missionary I was. I had bought several copies of Boy Erased mm-hmm. and my mom was in this restaurant and somebody was talking to a friend about how like their daughter came out as asexual and they were going to send them to therapy. And so I'm just minding my business driving down the road and I get a text through my Bluetooth that's like, hi, Adam, what is asexual mom? <laughs> and I pull over all the side of the road. I'm like, what is going on? So she shares with me where she is and I end up going in to this restaurant and I drop a book off at this person's table. Like I go in, I drop a book off at their table of Boy Erased, a copy of Boy Erased at their table. And I'm like, have a great day. And I leave. That's where I was. And so instead of tracks, you were. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I feel like that's the best story to tell because it's like, you can see missionary written all over it. Right. And it's like, you know, it brought so much out of me that I had kind of already moved away from. And I realized like this was consuming my life. This was becoming way too much. My life as a conversion therapy survivor was becoming a conversion therapy extravaganza. And I was like, I don't want that for me. Like I left this, I escaped. I don't want to continue jumping back into this and getting knee deep into trauma again, every single day, you know, like And I feel like because we have that fervor, when these groups come to us and are like, you have the opportunity to change lives, you have the opportunity to pass laws that will change lives. It's like it triggers us in such a way that we don't even realize. Because what we were told in the evangelical movement is you have the opportunity to save people from the very depths of hell. Mm -hmm. And yes, I get it. Like, But what people don't understand is when when you escape an insular, high control religious environment or high control, like however you want to say it, a cult, which it is, Mm -hmm. it for some people, they feel called to advocacy work and they're great at it. But just because they're in there doesn't mean 
that you can exploit them because you have to, people need to understand we are going Mm. back into the belly of the beast. Right. Right. Like the very thing that hurt us, Uh we are now going back Uh as their enemy. Before we were all, we were supposed to be on the same team fighting the same enemy, but now we're coming back as a victim Uh and as their enemy. It is a lot. Yeah. Oh, it is. And I mean, to like one of the things that I did as an advocate was deconstruct the language of the ex gays. So it was like, Mm -hmm. before they even got the opportunity to share what they were about, I was like, this was what I experienced. You know, I talked about things like same sex attraction, emotional dependency, and just how it completely wrecked my fabric of being. And, you know, to find these terms in their movement, you know, where it's like, I was able to kind of educate But that took so much. Like I would leave these regulatory board meetings, having heard ex-gay testimonies, having shared my story, having like seen a group called the Family Foundation really talk about how it was God's will to, you know, pass laws to save conversion therapy. Like it was wild. It was so much. And I think like if I had the opportunity to do it again, I think I would just submit a letter and walk away, like submit my story in writing and just call that a day. Cause it's like, you know, that was too much. That was way too much. And I didn't even realize who I was becoming. I was becoming missionary Adam, but just with a rainbow sash, you know, mm-hmm. like it was, that was a lot. And I mean, yeah, I, I ended up, closing out love actually one as a chapter um mostly because ct survivors exists now and it's like that group you know is kind of trying to accomplish a similar thing um you know and it's not led by ex-gay leaders which i think is important um believe it or not former ex-gay leaders have really tried to take on this demeanor or role of leading conversion therapy survivors on the other side of this and it's like absolutely not like i don't even want to be in the same room with you like if alan chambers walked into a room i would walk away that is too much like (laughs) i remember hearing this man's like calm voice talking about how he was married to a woman and everything is possible through god like i don't think so goodbye i don't want you here you know that's i feel like that with a lot of people and what i what i see happening and i i've I'm trying to talk about this more because I think that it's so important that as a collective evangelical group, Uh we recognize it's evangelical pop culture Uh and you've got your famous worship leaders, you've got your famous CCM leaders, you've got like Uh all of these people. And when their platforms are dwindling, they tend or they're questioning their faith, they tend to scurry on over to the ex-evangelical side or the deconstruction side and they go on an apology tour and they're given these new york times bestseller book deals right and they're squashing the voices of the very very victims they created and they're further victimizing people and because we were conditioned hyper conditioned to follow these people to the ends of the earth there's a vast majority of us that have not deconstructed that idea. 
specifically with the patriarchy and women looking for a masculine leader. I think that people that were leaders in the evangelical movement need to take at least a five-year pause. Like, yes. Thank thank you, Mm -hmm. sir. Thank you, ma'am. But right now, it is time for the victims that you created to talk. And if you can't stand that, then I suggest you get off social media and you stop Googling because we have every right to. Now is our time. We are going to heal loudly together. And that's why I'm, that's the whole purpose of doing this podcast is like amplifying the voices of of women, of the queer community, of the BIPOC community, of the trans community, because these were the voices that weren't heard and the voices of the men that survived purity culture because mm-hmm. men weren't allowed to have feelings. Right. So right. I want to amplify every voice that's willing to come on here and share. Yeah. That's why I'm here. And I got off on a tangent, but I just think yeah, that no, it's important it's very to relevant to acknowledge that the survivor community, the advocate advocacy community is has a far we've come a long way we're here where we're at i wouldn't i would not have acknowledged who i am now i would have not sat in the same room with her 10 yeah, years ago actually i would yeah. have been terrified of mm-hmm. uh, you know of who i am i think it's just really important that the evangelical movement recognizes that although we are where we are at we still have a lot to deconstruct and a lot to decolonize and yeah. a lot to a lot more of the patriarchy that we need to cancel out the there aren't rules and i think that's one of the problems is we've pulled those rules that we had when we were in the evangelical movement we've pulled mm-hmm. those and we've tried to adopt those into or like create some sort of hybrid rules mm-hmm. and we're silencing people People yes. are afraid to speak out. Yeah, because you'd never know what's what you're gonna get, what's gonna yeah. happen. Um, you know, I um I think like people in the advocacy circles here in Virginia were, I think, trying to warn me about what I was about to encounter. Um, but I don't think there was any way to possibly like warn me about the amount of triggering that would take place being in the same room as like, you know, these ex gays. Um, That was, and then what's even wilder is I invited one of them out to lunch um, and wanted to basically like save him and he wanted to save me. And it was the weirdest exchange. (laughs) Like, you know, like, um, you know, and truthfully, like, I think if you, you know, one of the things that, let me backtrack myself. You're good. (laughs) Rewind. Yeah. I think it's important that if there's a conversion therapy survivor that wants to share their story, that we are able to stand in the truth of our story and in the Mm -hmm. present, um, because it is so easy to fall back into past versions of ourselves you know with the testimony on the line and all of that like it is so important that if you know a conversion therapy survivor is going to step up share their story that there's awareness that basically have a therapist on standby you know yep (laughs) like yep 
have somebody there that you can lean on. And also it's not on you, right? Here in Virginia, we just had a little bit of a political swap. And if um, there's issues where the conversion therapy regulations come into question, I have done my part, right? I am not taking this on yet again, right? Um, There's no reason to do that. The mental anguish would be so intense that, you know, I would fall into that space again. And I, I, I know like that is a boundary for me now, you know, me just kind of nonchalantly sharing my story, um, you know, over and over and over again is not something that I'm willing to do anymore. And it's actually why this is my swan song. I'm, this is the last time I'm going to be sharing my story. Um, just because I honestly, I don't want to anymore. <laughs> you know and i i love that you recognize that you're mm-hmm. like i've told it mm-hmm. i lived it and i'm ready to move on to this beautiful life yeah. that i've created and that leaves me to the last little bit which is yeah. i do have a series of questions that i ask everybody sure. first off you are dating a magnificent person and you are about oh to celebrate an yes. anniversary. Y'all are going to mm-hmm. go away. Congratulations. Thank you. Just quickly, how long have you been together? Why Why this person? I don't know their pronouns, so I'm not going to say yeah, he, him. But mm-hmm. he, him. Why yep. him? What is magnificent about him? Other than like, listing 500 attributes that you think. (laughs) (laughs) He's absolutely fabulous. Um, One of the things that I have always, always struggled with is living within my means. (laughs) And I'll be the first to admit that this man is so budget conscious. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, You know, I had fallen for him just more and more each date. Um, the first date I had shared with him that, you know, he knew a little bit about my story because he's originally like a mutual friend, like we had a Mm -hmm. mutual friend. Um, so we knew a little bit about what I had been through and I shared with him, you know, Hey, if you want to learn more about this, you know, here's some media articles. And he was like, I don't want to learn about you through the media. I like, I want us to connect and I want you to feel safe with me to where we can go there when you want to. And just incredible. Um, but on our second date, we had gone to another restaurant and he was like, hey, like, I really want us to do things that save a little bit more money, <laughs> you know? And that just made me fall for him even more. And then uh, finally, we went on something in Richmond called the Tacky Lights Tour, which is like a whole bunch of Christmas lights. And you drive around and you see all these crazy festive houses. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're like, you know, if you've ever been to anything like this, like you tune your radio. To totally. Your yep. Station. Yep. yep. We have and something nearby goes. like that. Yep. Yeah. Light. So um, we uh, we officially became a couple then. So we're approaching our third year anniversary. Um <sighs> The only thing I do differently is not have an anniversary right around Christmas time. But <laughs> yeah, ours but, is like in May. Yeah. Ours is at the yeah. end of May, so it's it a, makes things a little busy. Yeah, yeah, a busy holiday season already. But phenomenal. I love oh. him so much, and um, 
I love the fact that I can be me, he can be him, and it's a safe space. I'm living with my best friend right now, um, you know, who, I mean, has really been there from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, When I opened up about my story for the first time, like I was at, we were at a friend's party. I think I was like 25 and I'm just sobbing, opening up about this stuff. And she really, you know, encouraged me to start talking to a therapist and really get some help to, you know, really move on to live my best life. Um, I'm capable of love. And I think that's important to say. I mean, one of the things that actually happened was me remembering falling in love with my first love. And that was actually a very triggering experience because that was like undone in conversion therapy, like feeling love. And so I'm capable of love and I'm capable of being loved. Um, You know, and these are things that I say proudly that I know have. It takes a lot to say that, you know, and to be at a point where I can say that and believe it, it's, it's magical. So I remember something that my dad would tell me growing up Mm -hmm. is no matter what your hair color is, no matter how many tattoos you have, no matter how many piercings you have, no matter what your clothes are, as long as you love Jesus, we're proud of you. No, and God. I think about oh. that and not all the time and not even really from time to time. But when I hear things like this, the length that we had to go to perform for love is uh-huh. excruciating. And yeah. I am so proud of us. I'm so yeah. proud of you. I'm proud of me. That we've learned that we are worthy of love regardless. Like, I don't need to have a religious affiliation to earn the love of my parents. That's on them. I don't need to work to earn love. If you have to earn love, that's not love. And I don't have to continue using my story to impact other people's lives. Yes. To move on to my best self. Yep. Bingo. Yep. It's okay if your son sets on advocacy. And you know what, Adam, maybe that'll come back in 20 years. Maybe it won't. And I love that. Like, in order for us to move forward, we have to leave behind this need to live both simultaneously in the past and the future. We have to be able to embrace the moment, the here and now, the people that are in our lives, the things that are in front of us. Like there's so much grounding work that has to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that. Like you're just embracing you for who Mm -hmm. you are today and knowing that you can stand firm, that you are somebody that is worthy of love. You Mm -hmm. are a lovable person. You are kind, you know. Thank you. All the, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, As are you. Thank you. So at the very beginning, you talked Mm -hmm. about a giant poster that said leaving homosexuality. And that was in like, as soon as you walked into the love one out conference, Uh mentally taking that poster down and ripping it to shreds. Right. Yes. If you could hang a poster, a banner over your life right now, what would it say? Um, that's a great question. 
Um, first and foremost, I just want to share that there is a survivor out there who wrote an album for us conversion therapy survivors. His name's Justin Utley, and the title of the album is Scars. Um, and I will say when I am dealing with it, when I feel triggered, his album is something that I go to just because I know like I can belt this out and you know sing a song that really connects to those traumas um so um if i could hang up a poster today it would say hmm i got really big into slogans with advocacy so i gotta think this hard <laughs> mm. you know i would say um oh my god why is this so hard okay it doesn't say leaving homosexuality what it says is um <gasps> okay i'm actually very proud of this one and this is going to be what will be on my poster the first letter of identity is i okay mm -hmm. so let me tell you this is truly one of the proudest things that I ever did as an advocate. I went to like this kid's camp and it was with the group that I was volunteering with, facilitated this workshop, and I drew like these giant block letter eyes. And I created this exercise where they drew and colored and wrote whatever composed or whatever comprised their identity. And then they would share it to the group. And what I had everybody do was applaud and cheer and just scream and just give these loud and proud affirmations when they were done. And there were a couple different things to glean from that, which is one, the first letter of identity is I, which means nobody can take that away from you and it belongs to you. Kind of like equipping them to like say no to yeah. conversion therapy. Yeah. Um, but also um, that this type of affirmation you get to demand that now. You get to go into a space and only um, you get to go into a space and know that your crew are the ones that make you feel like you just felt with all of us cheering for you, you know? Yeah. Um, so it would say the first letter of identity is I. That's what it would Beautiful. say. Um, I love that. Thank you. Um, Okay. Yeah. Favorite book. Ooh. Okay. I am going to say this just because this book did truly change my life. Um, I encountered it after I auditioned for The Voice, and it's actually what um, made me feel like I wasn't alone. Um, boy erased mm. truly truly i i don't think there's ever going to be a book that's going to have that type of impact over my life again mm -hmm. um you know i heard someone else articulate things in such an artful way and i try to be very careful with how i write things so it's like hearing someone articulate it so well in writing it it meant something like that book truly yeah 
truly like made a huge impact on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Favorite movie. He's just not that into you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I oh, love I it. adore that movie. Um, you know, Saved is another close one. Oh uh, my gosh. Mandy yes. Moore. Mandy Moore. Yes. Her performance in that is, Incredible. is so good. And you can tell the people that grew up like that because, and the people that didn't, because the people that didn't are such a dumb movie and the ones right. that grew up like that, I'm like, oh every my gosh, that's time, my life. Every That time is my life. Like, Cause like she Pastor didn't. Skip was all of our youth leaders. Like, <laughs> totally. let's be honest. She did not <laughs> embellish that character. No. Whatsoever. Mm-mm. Like that was so many of the like the controlling girls in my youth group oh mm-hmm. my gosh yes 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 and then went to church um, with one of those yep. <laughs> everybody went to church with mm-hmm. one of those and if they say they didn't then they were then they were that person. they were that person uh-huh. they were mandy moore exactly um, favorite song either over time or like like overall or currently now I am a singer. So that is like asking me to pick a favorite child. So all I can say is what I like now. My all-time favorite song. Although I think I do sort of have an all-time favorite song. But. Uh-huh. Um, so I already referenced Hey Whatever by Westlife in the first part of this. Um, that has definitely been my all-time favorite song forever. Um I do want to pick a different one though. <laughs> if it's your all time favorite, then that that's is my fun. like, favorite. I love that. Um, you know, yeah. Hey, whatever by Westlife is absolutely. Uh, oh, I love it. There is, there's not a song that I'm going to ever vibe with as strong as that one. So I love um, that. Yeah. Well, um, mm-hmm. Adam. Yes. You are lovely. You were lovely. And thank you for holding this space. You have been incredible. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you are kind to yourself and to others. If you are interested in supporting this show, please click the link at the bottom to my Patreon. These shows take a lot of time and resources, and any support is appreciated. If you are interested in being a guest, please email the show at focusonyourownfamilypodcast at gmail.com. Inside of the show notes, you will find the links to mine and the guests' socials. Please give us a follow. We look forward to talking with you and connecting with you.